folks, and welcome to the Tavern Chat Podcast. We are continuing our fireside chats for Zine Quest. Hey, I'm getting that shit right now. I must have gotten past that mental block. So today is another twofer. Today we start out with Michael Harmon, Tomb of Immolation. And we're going to wrap it up with Thaddeus Moore, Robin Irwin, uh, Wizard Funk 3. Not... Wizard fuck three, like I kept on trying to say. So, folks, thank you so much for following along. Support these uh, zines if they interest you. A lot of good ones out there. And uh, I don't hear the dog barking in the background, but I'll be back tomorrow for Iron Rations with Tim Shorts and uh, some special guests. So, in the meantime, enjoy. Folks, welcome. We have another of our fireside chats for Zine Quest uh, Month. I think I pronounced that right. <laughs> As I told Michael before this, I go, I'm going to screw up with a Zine or Zine. <laughs> uh, with me, I have Michael Harmon. The Tomb hey. of Immolation is his Zine. Uh, we're certainly going to cover the, uh, the the current project, but. Michael, first off, I love your background. I mentioned this before we we started this. Your background is awesome. Where did you? I, I'm not even going to ask you if it's real. I don't need to know that. I just want to know <laughs> what, how how you came to uh, have such fine uh, dungeon dressing in in your room here. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, actually, in addition to being an illustrator, I'm also a photographer. So uh, I just happen to have a a black backdrop <laughs> accessible. Uh, and of course, I just like to keep skulls around all the time. Yeah, alas, poor Yurik, I knew him well, but yeah, <laughs> and I can remember it's appropriate right now. But uh, yeah, it's certainly it's atmospheric. But I like you said, I got the virtual tavern behind me. Uh, yeah. You got a yeah. You you have a room that I could just see somebody walking into in a dungeon, going yeah. <laughs> uh, so let me get this straight. There's a skeleton in, on the far right, and there's a pile of skulls and books to my left. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I want to touch anything in yeah, this. I can guarantee it's going to be trapped or cursed. Yeah, that's really all you need. That's yeah, <laughs> I got it. I got it. Yeah, you set the whole scenario up right yeah. there. So, so Michael, I, and I've been asking this of, of pretty much everybody I've sat down to have these chats with. But how did you get into gaming? What 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 brought you into the hobby, and when in your life was it? Uh, that was uh, eleven years old, um, nineteen seventy eight. So I just oh, told you, my age you, there. Yeah, yeah. No, you you were you were early on. I, I do you. Uh, yeah. I came on probably at 12, 13, 1980. So yeah. I was born, I was born in 67. So, you know. oh, like, likewise. So, yeah. Yes. Uh, so yeah. Uh, yeah. I started with the, uh, the Holmes blue box, okay. uh, basic set. And, uh, but then like a year later, later that year, the, uh, AD and D one e player's handbook came out and uh you know then we we gobbled up all those hardbacks <laughs> so uh yep. yeah oh, so you, you've been gaming for a while i, I came on i mentioned this before i came on with ad and d 
Uh, my friend Kenny did not have anything but the DMG. So after our solo adventure, again, it was 10 point. I still remember this 10.6 cents to make that initial phone call back then. And he had to call, yeah. school, had to call a friend in school to find out if I leveled. Oh. <laughs> I, 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 I was hooked. Uh, you know, I remember spending that summer at his grandmother's house in Belmar, New Jersey with Kenny, maybe, maybe two weeks out there. And I just remember reading the DMG front to back, back oh, yeah. to front. You still didn't have the player's handbook, but it didn't make a difference. You were absorbed in it. And I, I don't know if it was the Gygaxian language that was also enthralling to it. it yeah. It might have been. It made it seem foreign, yet familiar. And if you could understand it, you, you, <laughs> yeah. you were elite, you know? Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, definitely unique. Uh, it's a great book uh that that first uh dm guide um but yeah but also confusing at times <laughs> oh extremely confusing at times and, yeah. and i've done you know just on a regular podcast i've done episodes covering parts of the dmg and how it uh, it it seems like there are parts of it that are absolutely needed uh the combat tables saving throws and explanations and all that stuff and then there was stuff that Gary went, this just sounds like a kind of cool idea. Yeah, hey, let's, right. <laughs> yeah. Let, let, let's yeah. throw in unarmed combat that's a percentile system that will make no sense to anybody right. and yeah. doesn't follow normal combat. Yeah, that that that's – let's throw in a whole section on disease. Yeah, Because, right. you know, your characters <laughs> are going to get diseased when they go through those brothels. Oh, did I mention yeah. these brothels? Yeah. Uh, it's, like, <laughs> it's like, what were you thinking? And it's, yeah, and, right. And, and yeah. the player's handbook isn't organized poorly. It, it has it, – it, it goes by your, your, your abilities, your classes. Then you get your, your, your you know, weapon charts, and then you get your spells. Mm-hmm. And, and then you have the optional rules that, like, you're like, all right, psionics, which again matches up to nothing else within the game system, but we're going to throw it in anyway because it's cool if you were doing a system that was just psionics. And we're going to break the rules we've already established. Right, in the right. Class. Yeah, yeah. You can't, half elves can't multi, it can't dual class, but you can triple class. Yeah, right. But it's not yeah. multi classing, but you can change classes twice, but just not once. And humans can't change classes three times unless you're going to be a bard, in which case you can. It was like even back then, I was, as a t- young teen, I was like, I don't understand why this yeah. doesn't match up to the rest of it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, but yeah, I, I ate up all the art in those books: uh, Trampier and Errol oh, Odin, FD, yeah. and uh, all those guys. Now, since you started with basic, uh, I'm going to ask you a question. I had, I know with, with, with myself, I started with advanced, and therefore advanced meant that basic was for babies. I realized how wrong I was as I got older, and basic was a very tight and well-presented system. But you started with basic, and then you found advanced. When you went to advanced, did you look back on basic and say, this is for babies? Or did you say, it's just part of d and uh, Yeah, actually... I, yeah, I kind of jive with you there. I, uh, that we kind of felt the same way. Uh, if not, you know, for babies, you know, for right. definitely, it's, it's, this was for starters. Uh, yeah, it's the immature group that plays basic. The right. Only, only 
only people that can understand uh, spell seg you know segments with spell interruption weapon versus ac adjustment and weapon speed that makes no sense yeah can play advanced dnd <laughs> exactly uh, yeah that was my, my first summer of actually game mastering it was by the book and oh wow oh yeah you get through maybe three four encounters in a game session uh and then you'd be like i think we're are we done uh i guess we're done yeah now. right and um. then <laughs> and then we, we we jettisoned uh uh segments and spell interruption and we never really understood weapon speed because i kept yeah. I, I remember reading reading articles that oh well dagger against the two-handed sword at times can attack three times before the two-handed yeah. sword attacks once i was like what time is that because it doesn't yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I remember we talked about weapon speed, but I don't remember ever using it. Uh, the I, I think that's the the biggest difference going from basic to advanced was uh, all the races being able to play a class instead of races class, uh, and then access to higher level spells and all that. And, um, and the additional and the additional classes themselves, you know, you, you got an action. Right, right. Uh, you, you, you can play a paladin, right. ranger, hat. Assassin was always the class. Like, ah, oh, shit! Somebody wants to play an assassin. Yeah, Who's, we're gonna have inter-party conflict. Not to be called that. We're gonna have we're gonna have an asshole. Even if it's a good friend of yours, oh, he's playing an assassin. It means he wants to be an asshole. He wants to role play. <laughs> he wants to role play an asshole. I know it because if you just wanted to role play a thief, you take a thief. But you took assassin because that was your excuse to. Well, I'm an assassin. I I I'm not good. I mean, <laughs> it's just so in the rules that I can't be good, or uh, even got to be evil. That's like somebody's just looking for an excuse, right? God, right. God help us. So now you started with basic, you moved on to advanced, and and you've been gaming. My God, over forty years. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm probably just over ten over forty years myself. Did you have any point in your gaming career where you, for, I always call it for adulting reasons, had to leave the hobby? Or were you playing straight through to now? Um, yeah, I did have a little break. I, uh, and really not even for adulting reasons. <laughs> that sounds funny. Um, yeah, I played up like solid all through high school. Uh, I think the years where I lacked mostly was probably during college. Um, uh, just because, uh, I don't know, having fun with college <laughs> and all that goes with that. <laughs> yeah, well, I see college, actually, re I, college is when I had two groups. I had my college okay. group and I had my... But, yeah, uh, a, lot, a lot of people tend to be that way. And you know what? It seems like during college I played in the summer, but it seems like when I was in school, I wasn't playing as much. Uh, and then when the I got... Schoolwork. Damn it. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, schoolwork, uh, maybe a little bit of partying. There you go. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Uh, but yeah, after I got out of college, um, in my 20s, sometime in my 20s again, I got back into it. And then I really went full steam again. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, even with myself, I had about ten, I had like a ten year break. For, for for me, it was adulting. It was like, oh, so you're not working retail. You're you're actually going to be 
in my case, a cop walking the streets of the South Bronx until two o'clock in the morning with your weekends being Wednesday, Thursday, which yeah. didn't really lead to a great way to, to game on the weekends where others in your group that our group had lasted until I was 20, 29. And then, okay. then that was my high school group that was still going strong. It was amazing. Oh, wow. And, and then it was like, all right. And we took a break. And I guess kind of didn't really come back. I came back with EverQuest and with the same people. But EverQuest is not role-playing. EverQuest is it's a fantasy game with some role-playing tropes attached to it where you kill shit and take their stuff. So it's pure murder hobo. With yeah, right. <laughs> um, exactly. And then I came, I guess, uh, right before I met my wife, Rachel, I found Fantasy Grounds, and I found a Dark Heresy group. Oh, um, yeah. And, and before high-speed internet, at least before I had it, so everything was text chat. But that was I, – I could deal with Dark Heresy because I had played uh, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, and I, I liked it. But Fantasy Grounds 2, all the tables were embedded into the rule set. So anything you did, you rolled you just rolled the virtual dice, and you had the result. You didn't have to refer to – uh, the rule book, which was which was good, because I probably didn't know the rules well enough to uh, <laughs> understand it well. Otherwise, we had a we had a very very good DM, and, and and it was a it was a tight group. And then from that, I found Castles of Crusades. And once I found Castles Ooh. of Crusades, I was like, "Wow, this is like D and D, but back in print." And it, we, I this this is I guess at the tail end of three, beginning of four. I was like, "Yeah, right, right." I was like. And I was like, oh, Castle Crusades is uh, something I could feel comfortable with. And then I found the rest of the OSR, and I guess oh, yeah. you could say it's, it's, it's history. But, I mean, your gaming break was not just um, shorter, but earlier. I guess you came back, yeah. and, and 2E was, was still there. I mean, the oh, break, yeah. from e two, break from 1E to 2E, even for me... Before we had the internet, before you got a chance, like the Dragon Magazine wasn't going to talk to you about the uh, politics going on at TSR. But even I could tell, gee, Tui was there to write Gary Gygax out of Dungeons and Dragons. You kind of saw that, yeah, when the books came out. Then I didn't realize that. Well, yeah, AD and D was Gary's way to write out Dave Arnson from Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, so let's get a, a system that Dave isn't attached to. We're not going to owe him monies for it. We're just going to have advanced, no Dave. So uh, I always found that interesting because now we're very wired in. I mean, yeah. we're doing we're doing this chat. You know, I, I can go on to Facebook and World, numerous ICV two and other various sites, and find out the latest releases. Oh yeah, and you know, you, you're not like reading Dragon Magazine to see what's going to come out, or even Knights of the Dinner Table. Yeah, you know, yeah. was 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 a source of good game reviews. Now, you go do a Google search, find a blog that you that you respect the opinion of, and you're like, oh, okay, uh, Bryce likes this at ten foot pole, or he doesn't like it. And uh, let, let me see what he doesn't like, because obviously sometimes you know a reviewer's likes and dislikes don't always match up to your own. It's like they didn't like this, but I love it, or right, they right. like. They like this. It's a piece of shit. <laughs> I don't understand where they're coming from. But 
it's just part and parcel, I guess, with, with, with a lot of it. Now, we're going to, I guess, change gears a little bit. Yeah. Your, your latest uh, project. Now, am I calling it latest project? Have you done other Kickstarters before this? No, is this, this is the first one. First one. All right. So before we talk about the Tome of Immolation and, and get into the nitty-gritty, I'd like to get your feelings on the Kickstarter experience because I know people that have done dozens. I know people that it's the first one. What was that feeling when you, you hit go live on your Kickstarter? Uh, yeah, well, uh, I guess I had an anxious feeling, but I was pretty excited. I was pretty, pretty amped up that it was finally bam. Uh, but yeah, but you know, also kind of a anxious feeling, I guess also. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's definitely been a whirlwind, uh, just, uh, promoting things and, and, and all of that. Uh, so it, yeah, it felt good when we hit the funding goal and all that, of course, uh, that oh. felt great. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm sure. Now. I mean, Kickstarter has been doing this for a while and I hear that they, they're, I've never done a Kickstarter. I've backed and I always have to look over my shoulder before I say this and make my yeah. wife isn't, which my wife isn't within earshot. Uh, and this is before Zine Quest because uh, I've, I've already blew my $250 budget and, and going strong. Yeah, but I, I, I'm a super backer. Of yeah, like I'm a super backer. So yeah, <laughs> I can relate. Over over 450 Kickstarters backed. Wow. Um, okay, you've got yeah. me beat, but I, but, <laughs> but I, but I'm a super backer. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, and it's not a badge you necessarily wear with honor. It's kind of like the, uh, it's honor and shame at the same time that, because really have you, the, the opportunity if, if if even half of these are gaming material. What, what are the uh, odds that I'm actually using nine, no, 10% of 225 with any kind of regularity? But I love them for inspiration. Oh, and, yeah, likewise, yeah. And I, I love the zines because it's bite-sized RPG material. Oh, yeah. When I, when I was younger, uh, especially when it came to games, I'd get them all and – Show me Rollmaster, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, mm -hmm. Space Master, GURPS. Oh yeah, uh, the pace set of games, Paranoia. I didn't didn't yeah. matter. Give I me all, all the sets. <laughs> yeah, and 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 you. Uh, although I always had a problem with foreign language in school, it was never a strong point. Learning game systems, and maybe because I was more mathematically inclined, uh, always came quickly to me. I always. I always got 90%. Maybe I didn't get to the last 10% immediately, uh -huh. but I got 90% of how it was going to do a character and I could run a game session without crazily looking at the, uh, the books and the mechanics. And then I found out that as I got older, when I came back to gaming, um, I, I lost a lot of that ability. Oh. Um, <laughs> I, I can, uh, can I go back to games that I'm quasi familiar with, like Warhammer fantasy Roleplay, and, and still, Probably run a game if I read the new rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I played that. <laughs> uh, can, can I? Can I necessarily uh, pick up a brand new rule set and say, oh, "All right, yeah, this is the uh, Conan two D twenty rules." 
will I feel comfortable enough learning them to run it? And I'm almost a universal answer is always I could play. (laughs) But you have to carry as a player is a lot less than as a, as a DM. But uh, I I find games than the OSR. uh, I found Labyrinth Lord, Swords and Wizardry, Mm-hmm. Uh, Osric was probably the first one that I found when I came back. I was like, oh my god, somebody, somebody reorganized AD and D first edition. So yeah. I, I, it actually makes sense and left out the stuff that was we left out in the end anyway because it slowed down gameplay. Oh my god, this right. is great. <laughs> um, but then for new games, uh, I, I think I found two new game systems that I could sit down with and actually say I could learn it to the point that I could run it. And one was far away land uh, because it's a simple D6 system. It's got a great sense of humor, but the mechanics are pretty straightforward. And then there's tiny D6 because tiny ah, D6. I'm a big fan of tiny D6. Yeah. I'm a big and fan. It, it has an old school feel and it doesn't overwhelm you with fiddly parts. I mean, there are people that live for the crunch, and I'll be honest with you, I probably lived for the crunch back in the day. You, you, oh, you know, yeah, I hear you. You know, I, I, I had a friend uh, who gave me the Morrow Project and said, listen, I don't understand this fucking shit, but I want to play it. Like, <laughs> okay. So if you can learn the rules, the rules are yours, but I want to play it. It's like, oh, somebody else. Hey, here's Bushido. Rules make no sense. They're yours. <laughs> so that that was me as a younger gamer. Now I look at the Bushido rules and I'm like, well, yeah. first off, the, ty- the typeset's so small, I don't think I can read it yeah. with my older eyes. But I look at it and I go, uh, n- not worth the effort when there's such a... Pl- a plethora of choices out there, especially ones that are built on old school gaming. Oh, now, yeah. Tome of Immolation, you're using the 5e and the OSR style rule sets yes. for for your game engine, so to speak, uh, behind this adventure. So I own the 5e rules. I've read the 5e rules. I could never run them. Again, too many fiddly points to it for me to <laughs> feel comfortable with it. But uh, when you're writing an adventure for these two systems, although they share uh, the same roots and many similarities, the power curve between the two is, is different. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really big. <laughs> yeah, it's really big. Uh we uh, uh, we actually did, uh, like I said, I have a couple of accomplices uh, with the tomb. I did the map and came up with the basic concept and basic things I wanted going on. And uh, then I got one of my gaming buddies, uh, Billman, to uh, help me with the text and add additional details. And uh, another one of my gaming buddies, uh, Sean, uh, which he's kind of a crunch master, uh, we had him, uh, help us with, uh, like a lot of the stats, um, okay. from, for both games, but he like knows 5e really well. So, uh, so as far as like stats, uh, we really leaned on him and he did a great job. And so 
we actually built it with 5e first because of that and uh and we had also played some 5e games uh in addition to swords and wizardry right uh so and uh sean kind of came to the conclusion it's easier to build the more complicated 5e first and then actually then convert it to swords and wizardry but well, we you can, you're condensing at that point uh, totally yeah, always, totally yeah you know, so stripping, it's you're stripping away it's easy to strip away than it is yeah. to add in because there's a less of a balance issue but yeah I, well I could, we I could see that and of course osr you know uh people aren't usually as worried about it being deadly but we did play right. test in both and uh we did a 5e play test first, and uh, uh, then we did a Swords and Wizardry, and we're like, oh, wow, these <laughs> the characters are not going to make it past the first couple of rooms. We got to power it down even more, because, uh, yeah, it's like a, it's a really big difference. Uh, it's just... Yeah. Harder to kill a 5e character <laughs> or they well, more it, it, access it, it, to healing. More access to healing, uh what the death the death saving throws. Yeah, three death of. saves. Uh yeah, yeah right. Which, which you know what? Uh, I mean it, it's all how you want to play the game. I'm not necessarily saying I have a problem with that. Again, depending on your group, depending on your style. But it certainly is a, a different uh power grid that you're working with between the two. Oh, yeah. And even with me, like uh, DCC RPG, a game that I was able to understand enough to run it so long as my players uh, didn't take anybody of... Uh, I could handle the arcane casters, but I still didn't understand how clerics or priests work in that game. Oh, but gotcha. I, could, I do but like I could, DCC. It has great flavor. Well, that's just it. So then... And my players like the flavor, and they didn't much like the swinginess of the system. So I have run DCC adventures with swords and wizardry rules, but converted on the fly. It's oh, easy yeah. enough to strip out what you don't need, go with the flavor, and uh, wing it or improv it for where you need it to be. Oh, yeah. Totally. Where, whereas taking a swords and wizardry adventure and running it for DCC or 5e without prior prep would be damn near impossible. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Again, you're looking at somebody who took, who you're looking at the person that thought that uh sort of white box was too long and complicated and <laughs> broke that down to four pages. Um, with sort of was light. Right. Uh, um, I, the ability to take five E and, and downstep it to swords and wizardry, I guess requires a, a not just a change of stripping out mechanics, but I, I, I'm guessing a, a a little bit deeper change of the monster's abilities to right. balance yeah. that out. Yeah, that was the main thing. That was the main thing. Uh, so yeah, totally. We yeah had had to lower the damage they were doing. Uh, you know, some of it we could just take from the swords and wizardry book stats, but we do have we have for swords and wizardry we do have seven new uh creature variants so that we were messing with uh that are thematically go with the immolation theme <laughs> well that's so yeah listen uh from my perspective as uh, a gm that likes to run uh 
games that are more on the improv side. Lucy yeah. Um, having new creatures uh, in an adventure is always awesome because even if you run the adventure, then you have inspirational material for other adventures, other scenarios. It just it it adds to your adds to your toolbox. Oh yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, I I that's the great thing about the rules light is uh, yeah, I'm kind of about the narrative. So I, I we actually also play tested just uh, like I said, I've been into Tiny D six lately. Right. Uh, so uh, we I just ran a play test with Tiny Dungeon uh, and I converted on the fly, and it was like it was so easy to do. And that, that was also, that was a fun game, <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, I just did that on a lark, but yeah, it's, so yeah, it was fun. Yeah. The, the, the tiny D six system is, it's relatively new, but it's very underrated for the yeah. flexibility and, and the simplicity. I mean, I, I, as a, as a game master, I prefer game systems that once I've learned the rules, there's minimal looking in the books. Because no, oh, yeah, slows, totally. Nothing yeah. slows any game more than yeah. looking in the books. Like if, you, if you're gonna run DCC, you you need a purple sorcerer's app so you can right. pull out the, yeah. the uh, spell charts and have them. But, yeah, great app. Book, yeah, yeah. Flipping through that book is literally a pain in the ass, but nothing really breaks the immersion not just for the players but even for the dm if it's a good if i'm running a good session i get into it and visualize what's going on oh yeah i gotta stop and i gotta go flip 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 find the rule section that so swords and swords and wizardry swords and wizardry light which i run at cons are things oh, that yeah. you know once the game goes in the into motion rules go to the side because you know them and right six is something that I, I feel if i spent another a couple of hours just rereading certain bits and pieces. I, I could run it with my ten-year-old uh, niece, and she'd be flying through stuff. Yeah, because that's the the overhead isn't totally. high. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Uh, and even though it's simple, it's cool because it's very customizable uh, with with PCs uh, due to the traits. Right. Uh, so you can really customize your characters uh, and creatures. So it's yeah, it's. It's pretty cool. But uh, yeah, I had a great time. Swords and Wizardry uh, ran that with uh, Tony with uh, plus one EXP. And uh, that was a really great uh, play test. Had really great fun with those guys. So now, what made you decide to do a zine for Zine Quest? I mean, this, this, I had said there were dozens. Apparently, there are hundreds of people that are involved in Zine Quest this, this year. So this whole process is kicking things off. But what made you say, this is something that I'd like to do? Yeah, I uh, actually, uh, I was talking about with my buddy, Billman. He had, had a, he had actually DM'd a campaign uh, a while back and ran us through it's uh all the players in my old school group we can we all gm so we kind of switch around right uh anyway he ran this campaign it was like a year-long campaign and uh last year i was, was kind of like man you know it'd be really kind of cool if we uh took this and formalized it and added all the details added art and you know self-publish it 
so we kind of started on that, but it, it uh, and that that's it's kind of on the back burner for the moment. But we done quite a bit for it, but it was like a really big project. So uh, over the summer, uh, this uh, last summer, uh, the one page dungeon contest came up. Right. And uh, so it was like, I said, so I, I drew the map and uh, like I said, I had the basic idea. And so I, I got a uh, bill to, I said, Hey man, can you add text for me? Uh, and this was just a system agnostic thing. And uh, I said, let's enter it in the uh, uh, dungeon, one page dungeon contest. So uh, we actually, it didn't have any art, but it had the ISO map. Uh, okay. And um, so we like, actually put it together and I said, let's do a small project like this, see if we can, you know, do it and bam, put something out. And we literally like, put that together in like a week and got it entered. Uh, but it turned out really cool. Uh, so when Zine Quest uh, was coming up, I was like, you know what? This is really a cool thing. Let's take it and expand it and uh, have a more formal project uh, that we can put out there and actually, you know, kickstart. And so that's... Uh, kind of how it took off and it we were like we had this one page and yeah we were thinking you know it might expand to 24 pages or something like that right anyway now it's like with artwork and everything it's like it's it's ballooned up to like around 70 to 80 pages <laughs> so Damn. yeah so it's going to be a really thick 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 boy <laughs> that that is that is pretty awesome is, is the experience in creating this what you thought it was going to be i mean have you come into any uh curveballs that you didn't expect in this creation process uh not any crazy curveballs uh the um not yeah not really any crazy curveballs because we did uh like I said, we did a bit of play testing and we did alter things, you know, minor details and stuff, play testing, things run smoother and uh, stuff like that. So the play testing really helped. Um, and uh, Bill, uh, he popped out the text pretty good. And I worked like, excuse me, worked like a madman mm -hmm. on the art. And so, so going into the project, except for maybe making minor changes due to playtests and stuff. Uh, you know, we had it pretty much written. Uh, and like I said, we've made minor changes and I had pretty much like 90% of the art done. So we felt pretty good going into it. Uh, you know, the biggest curveball is uh, uh, now, and we're in the process of doing layout now. So right. it, it's pretty close to complete, but uh, just uh and uh another one of us uh another gaming buddy muv is helping us with layout and editing so uh that's so far maybe been the biggest challenge just uh you know since we haven't really done layout on a uh a project of this size or whatever right so well that, that might go hand in hand with david thompson's question is there anything you learned during this process that you wish you had known before you started 
Uh, yeah. Um, that's a good question. Uh, yeah, I mean, there are some... Probably the biggest thing is uh, probably layout and uh, and uh, just uh, keeping in communication on the layout uh, with my design aspects and kind of what I want out of the layout. Uh, Mo's done a great job on doing the layout, uh, but I know now uh, that I could have commuted communicated some things uh maybe better with him beforehand instead of saying oh this is what i really want to do with this page and you know going back and fiddling with it or whatever uh right. but all in all that's been kind of minor uh i can't really complain like i said the fact that we had the majority of the art and writing done like uh, that's like been a big relief and uh and we wanted that like like i said we worked uh, really hard to get everything as close to finished before we uh, launched. Uh, so that made everything a lot easier. Uh, well, see, that there, uh, there, right there is a secret to Kickstarter success. Yeah. To, <laughs> it, it, you know, it, it's easy to have an idea. Um, it, it's, it's harder to put that idea into motion, but to have that idea, I don't know, 90% completed before you launch means that you're pretty confident that you're going to actually be able to complete your idea. Oh, as yeah. Opposed to, yeah. As opposed to, as I'll infamously uh, bring up, uh, Far West, which as the, uh, which was, I don't know, as of last December was nine years late. Wow. Uh, yeah, I've, a, I've heard about a great it. <laughs> a, a, a great idea, and probably even a better idea at the time than it is nine years later. I think uh, it, the the ability to have great ideas, everybody has great ideas at some point, but to put them into motion, to, to have them done. So back then, it was Kickstarter. A great idea was all you really needed to kickstart your project. Um I, and I've, I've been talking with a lot of creators during ZineQuest. Wow, I keep on pronouncing it the right way. Hey, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Go figure that shit out. But um, I, I've been talking with many of the creators, and people are like, oh, look, I even have my uh, my proof copy. Or, yep, um, I'm just waiting on some pieces of art. It's It's written except for the stretch goals. And if you had gone back maybe even five years ago, you wouldn't see people, especially people that are new to the Kickstarter pro process, coming out and having something in their virtual hands before seeking funding. And I think that's important. And that mm -hmm. allows Kickstarter to uh, give projects that are a lot more reliable. I think reliability is the key to this market. I know they say it's not about pre-orders. Yes, it is about pre-orders. You can deny whatever you want. But to be able to have creators have something that they have already done, so God forbid, uh, has has happened. Uh, oh, God, I'm trying to remember. It was the Diceless RPG uh, by Wright Publishing. Uh, the, the, the creator died before the Kickstarter could actually fulfill. Oh, wow. 
but they had put things into place that um, the project was delayed, but it's still fulfilled. Everybody, the backers all got what they came in for because because the writing had been done, the process mm. had been had had been done, and uh, I, I think even with smaller projects, that's that's important. And it's oh yeah, it um. I'm thrilled to see it as somebody who's backed uh, over 450 projects before ZineQuest. Uh, God only knows where it's at now. Um, I probably won't want to look. <laughs> yeah, I, now I really look at when I'm, like I said, I'm a super backer, but now I really look if it doesn't look like they have much done, I, I, I really like for them to have like a lot of it done. Otherwise, I usually don't tend to back it uh so so knowing that from my standpoint i know we wanted to have it like really right. almost done <laughs> yeah well it, it's it's doing due diligence and due diligence just isn't supposed to be done by uh, backers and supporters but as a creator you should be doing your due diligence that before you step up to the plate you're you're ready to take a swing at that ball and and get it into play as opposed to Oh, so I don't even have a bat in my hand. So I guess yeah, they go, yeah. so I go back and grab. It's a bad analogy, but <laughs> after, after the year we had in 2020, bad analogies about all we're going to have. I could, yeah, there, I could, there you go. If, if I had compared it to COVID, it, it would have been cringeworthy and I would have cringed myself. Right. <laughs> so now that you've got this process going and you get, you get your feet wet, do you see yourself doing another two things? Do you see yourself doing another zine? And do you see yourself doing another Kickstarter? Yes, definitely. <laughs> to to both. All right. That's yes. good. Uh, yes, uh, definitely another zine. Uh, we actually have uh, several projects in mind. Uh, not exactly sure what we're going to do first, but like, we have some smaller, just zine-like projects in mind. Right. Uh, we also have some like bigger projects in mind. Uh, but I think what we'll probably do is release some smaller projects and kind of in the background, maybe work on the bigger uh, till it's closer to being ready or whatever. Uh, but yeah, yeah, definitely for sure. Well, that, and that's I, I love the fact that Zine Quest. Encourages creators to get their feet wet with Kickstarter. Don't jump in with your 350-page setting book, uh, which you're going to expect to raise a quarter of a million dollars. Yeah, step in and get a feel for not just Kickstarter, but the creative process and mm -hmm. and and build. In your case, building a team, which you seem to have done very well. Um, these are all things that you don't necessarily think of before you go into this. And starting out with a, a, a zine within certain parameters, which they which they set, and it's like, okay, uh, I can't go too crazy with this, which is good. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it, you know, it keeps the expectations within a certain amount of uh, reality, not just of oh yeah, what you are capable of doing, but what they're even going to allow you to do. It's like, no, we're not going to allow you to go whole hog crazy. This is specific. You don't need uh, Dwarven beer steins and right. pencil dice as stretch goals right. to the uh, project that you're offering. So, yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, we, uh, yeah, we, at some point, as it was getting closer to launch, we were like, okay, we gotta, we gotta stop fiddling with it and start layout. Uh, and the whole teams worked. To, everyone's been great. Uh, Billman, Sean, Muv, uh, they've all we and we've all worked together really well. So it, it's gelled nicely. Uh, yeah, any of the learning things, uh, you know, there's definitely some learning things, but they've all been minor and small. Uh, but we, you know, definitely will apply that. Uh, to future projects. Um, as far as stretch goals, we since it was just a zine and the 14-day zine quest, right. we uh, decided from the start not to have stretch goals. Uh, but I kind of, <clears throat> I felt like we, at first we were talking about stretch goals and basically kind of took a lot of what would have been stretch goals and just added them from the start. Uh, so for instance, uh, when we ballooned up and it being larger, instead of increasing the price, we just really kept the zine price at 12 bucks. Uh, and, uh, the PDF at five, we have a hardship PDF at two bucks. So you're getting a lot for, uh, what we have. It's, it's a pretty dense <laughs> zine. Um, we also, the zine, uh, we're doing a soft touch laminate cover. Uh, doing nice quality paper, 80 pound paper. Uh, so yeah, we added and uh, so we added a lot of that from the start. Now, you, you mentioned uh, a hardship backer, that's uh, the ash zombie level. Now, where did that idea come from? Because I, I, I think that you know what you're giving back to a community that some people have been hard hit because of again the, the year of COVID. Um, mm -hmm. but, and I can see that's part of the reasoning here, but what, what, what made you guys think of that? Cause that's, that's, that's something I haven't really seen, but I like it. That's really, uh, well, I can't, uh, well, it was my, I'm the one that put that idea forth on this project, but I can't, uh, claim to have made that up. I've, I've seen a few other projects this year do that. Okay. Uh, I, and I think in response to COVID and everything and a lot of people having a tough time in 2020 uh so i i thought that was a great idea and uh you know offer that up so you know everyone can pretty much you know get into it and have access to it yeah i mean i, I and what, what i find again it really shows you the community that you have You've got 19 backers that are in at, at the $2 level, and you've got 54 that are in at the $5 level. Right. And it's not like you're saying, hey, folks, uh, you know, show me some uh, proof of your hardship. It's yeah, like, no. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so people that are uh, actually uh, saying, yes, I have the hardship level, probably do have the hardship. And people that have, have the money in their pocket or backing at the level where they're saying we want to support the project at a point that we feel is appropriate and is paying for the value that we're getting. And I think that that is a really great insight into the community that we are a part of. Oh yeah. The, uh, yeah, the OSR community is great. And, uh, you know, that I, that's what's, I don't know how many people have backed it for 5e or OSR, but really, the OSR community is 
is how this has taken off. Uh, the OSR community is really welcoming on indie creators. Uh, not only welcoming, they like they want to see, <laughs> you know, what you're putting out, and uh, oh, they yeah. want to see new creations. Uh, you know, uh, when I was trying to post a five E sites, there's they're so concerned about spam and not they're not very as welcoming to indie creators. So, uh, well, if you're going to create for five E, you should be going through the DMS guild and right. Um, all that. Yeah. So and give, give, give half your money to, uh, yeah. wizards and drive through just an observation. I'm not, I'm not criticizing, just making an observation. Yeah. Again. Yeah. I'm not criticizing five E or anyone that plays five E. Like I said, it's part of our product, but, uh, the driving force, of this Kickstarter has definitely been the OSR community for sure. So yeah, definitely props to the, the OSR community at large. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm very, very happy to be a part of it. And very, Oh, likewise. I'm very happy to do, do my share. I, I've stated to others, you all have a role to play within, within our community. My, my role is generally to, get good pro projects, whether it's on Kickstarter or new releases, give them a little bit more visibility and viability. And I am happy to do so because. Oh yeah. Uh, I appreciate it. it. You know, it, it is the, sp the spice of gaming is keeping it going and to keep the material oh, yeah. fresh. And it doesn't mean that there isn't old material out there that isn't awesome. I still go back and I'll read my Stonehell uh, dungeon by Michael Curtis I think it's timeless. Oh yeah. Oh, but yeah. I still, I still like to get some great stuff. Yeah, but I still like to see uh, the new stuff coming out. I like to see it, you know, push us in new directions. So, uh, again, ZineQuest, uh, from my perspective, has been awesome. And oh it has, yeah. I, again, I blew through my budget in the first three or four days. Oh my goodness! And that, uh, you and uh, me both, yeah. buddy. <laughs> I, I was like two hundred and fifty dollars. How? I, 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 there's no way I'm gonna. I'm like, Wow, that's that, that's these small projects add up real quickly when they all look really good and yeah, it's it's like Christmas year round when these uh, envelopes come in the mail. Oh, I know, yeah. So, well, Michael, I'm very glad that you got the time to take out of your day to sit down and for us to do this little chat. We've got some nice uh, feedback from our, uh, our live audience, uh, so really, I I, I want to thank you. It was, this was good. Yeah, and thanks. I appreciate you inviting me on. And like I said, I appreciate what you do for the uh, community in general. Uh, it's, it's awesome having that access. Oh, I, I, I you know, everybody's putting the world to accomplish something and at, at, this time, <laughs> yeah. at this time in my life. This is, this is what I'm here for. I, I did my 20 years accomplishing other parts of my life, but now I get to do the stuff that I enjoy. So, uh, it works out well, folks. Uh, Tonight, we have another live stream at 7.30 with uh, Thad Moore and, um, oh, God, Erwin. Uh, we're going to be talking about another another zine quest tomorrow. Awesome. Tim Schwartz is going to be joining myself and Joe Lawyer at 8 oh. p.m. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The, inf uh, the, the infamous Tim Schwartz. Yeah, I've backed his projects, of course. Oh, I, I <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I've known Tim for years, but I've been backing his Patreons. Uh, I think the moment he he started going live with that, and then he got mad at me when I was running his games, 
And he's like, you know, you have, you actually have what we're running. He goes, you actually have it. I go, I do. I'm like, yeah, it's part of the Patreon. You probably got it like six months ago. <laughs> it's probably tossed into my Tim Shorts Patreon box. Yeah, you know, I figured you were running stuff. I didn't want to see it, so I didn't want to <laughs> ruin anything, Tim. Uh, what else? Uh, and then Saturday, we've got three live streams, 11 a.m., uh, 7 p.m., and 9 p.m. The 9 p.m. is Gamers Health health with uh, myself and my lovely wife, Rachel. So we're going. We're moving to live streams. It was well-received last Friday when we didn't have a regular live stream. Uh, so we're moving it to Saturdays. So we're not interfering with the other live streams. All right, folks. On that note, uh, have a blessed day, and I will be back later on. Again, Michael, thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Folks, we are live. Welcome to the latest in the series of Fireside Chats in support of Zine Quest on Kickstarter. Today, instead of just doing a twofer as the interviews, we got a twofer at, we're interviewing. We are interviewing Thaddeus Moore and Robin Irwin and their latest zine. It's third in a series. Um, and, of course, I'm having that senior moment. Uh there we go, Wizard Funk. I wanted to call it, call it Wizard Fuck, and I was like, no, nah, <laughs> no, nah, it, it isn't Wizard Fuck, and I'm having a brain fart. And, and, and did, I even, did I even... Yeah, did I even pronounce Zine Quest right? Because I've been doing it Zine, Zine bullshit now. All, all fucking month doing this, and everybody's like, yeah, <laughs> Jesus. Well, generally, welcome. Uh, I, I appreciate the lie. It makes me feel so much better. Either way is great. No, it's okay. It's, uh, I'm a New Yorker. I'll always use that excuse for having poor language skills. It was yeah. my dump stat, you could say. Or at least they didn't put, at least they didn't put any points into it if it was a skilled game. If it's D&D, <laughs> you don't have to put any points into it. I That's just right. choose. I just, look at it. I start with seven languages and my 18 intelligence gives me another seven. I'm, I, I am highly literate in 14 languages. Uh, now, folks, uh, no secret. Before we jump into these things, I always, I always yap with the people I'm coming in with. It it, it sets the atmosphere. Uh, our atmosphere was uh, uh, as bad as it gets around the gaming table. We, we we would have been people if we were sitting at the game table today. We probably wouldn't have started session up for like 45 minutes because we would just been bullshitting and telling funny stories. But uh, I, I want to know, and and I'm going to ask Thad this first because. Thad's answer is going to be a lot shorter than than Robin's answer. I know that already. But uh, <laughs> no, only because what we talked about beforehand. Not saying anything about personalities. Fucking Thad can talk. But <laughs> what I'm saying is, uh, Thad, how did you get introduced to gaming? How did you become an RPGer, for lack of a better term? Sure. Right. So. Oh, and I'll just start my start my uh, speech here with I don't like when we have to say I'm a table play tabletop role playing games because uh, we were here first. OK, they're computer role playing guys, which I like, too. Um, so my dad was in the Navy and uh, we were living in Japan and I was 10 years old and it's the years 1989. And I'd never heard of a role playing game, though. I was uh, I was into squad leader and risk and a lot of those classic Avalon Hill board games, Panzer Blitz, Panzer Leader. Um I had most of them. Couldn't couldn't figure them out, but I had a lot of them. 
Not risk. Oh, risk I can figure out. I'm not so I was into the I was into the crunch. I'm 10 years old. We go to a barbecue. We just moved to Japan. And my dad's in the Navy. And we go to a barbecue unit uh, barbecue at some guy's house that he works with. And this kid has this book called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Other Strangeness. And then he has another book called After the Bomb. Well, that was the Ninja Turtles role-playing game. I already knew what the Ninja Turtles were, though this was the uh, darker black and white image comic turtles, not the uh, pizza-swilling Saturday morning cartoon Ninja Turtles. But when we say darker, they were darker. I mean, they, yeah. They, they, yeah, I remember that. It was an it was an independent comic. They could put whatever content they wanted. Guys are getting, you know, uh, Raph is uh, first of all they didn't have color, they weren't color coded. They didn't have their first initial on their belt, and uh, guys are getting stabbed with uh, size and swords and bows and bludgeoned with nunchucks and so this for me and robin and i talked about this and he can go into two uh role-playing games and i of course i quickly found dungeons and dragons after that and uh, my mother uh god lover is a religious catholic lady and um she uh didn't like dungeons and dragons but you know the turtles were safe the turtles were good to go uh, there dungeons you go. Dragons for devil worshipers uh ninja <laughs> turtles are cool right kids they're for kids so for many years after this, I stored my Dungeons and Dragons books with the spine against the back of the bookcase, just in, so there, in case there was any burnings while I was away at school or or football oh, practice or something like that. Dude, dude, my great aunt, uh, Aunt Norma, God rest her soul, Catholic nun, full black habit, didn't believe in Vatican II. And uh, one one summer, she was staying at the house. My parents were in the Poconos, and I go downstairs. I'm 18. I need the AC. I'm going to. She got bored, so she went to my room and found all my D&D books and called my parents in the Poconos to tell them I was a Satan worshiper going to hell. Oh. And my mother's, my mother's response to me was, she's only there for another week. I know you have other games to play. Uh, <laughs> play, the, play the other games uh, until then. And we told her we'll take care of everything when, she, when we get back, that she's not to touch anything or throw anything out. Just, just appease her until she leaves. I was like, okay. <laughs> Right, so it's so, about it's about aesthetics and it's about um, tropes and it's like the sci-fi stuff. Like I had riffs, and that was fine. But there's plenty of demons and magic and riffs, but oh, it, yeah. it has a sci-fi. No. Uh, the the what would you call it? The imagery is more science yeah. fiction oriented than um, you, you don't have an Afridi on the cover if you're one you know right. DMG. So anyway, the short answer is, or the not so short answer is, is once I found role playing games, it became the first thing in my life that an adult or parent didn't give hand to me and say, you do this thing or, and there's plenty of those things I like, like, like playing sports growing up, or I didn't, one thing I'll go off on a small side tangent here is I never had the experience of feeling like an outsider in my life in D and D or RPGs were the one thing that let me break out of my nerdy, um, introverted shell i i'm not an introvert right. i never have been uh i am a big nerd but uh D, D was uh never it was i guess it was the first way i for me what what the allure what has kept me with it all these years it was the first way i could express my creativity and it was something that was totally mine that i discovered on my own as a kid and uh have just always loved okay now that being the short answer I'm waiting now for Robin's answer because I think this is going to be a good good story. So, Robin, how did yes, you sir. come into gaming, and how was it for you? Well, um, let's see. I was in the sixth grade. It was 1981. Okay, you uh, like me. All right. Yeah. I loved to draw, and I loved reading fantasy. So uh, I was just 
uh, happy as could be with uh, either a choose your own adventure book or a uh, Frank Frazetta cover on an ace, you know, drugstore paperback uh, Conan yep. the Barbarian style, you know, book. Uh, and then I was just I I remember when I saw the box set, it was the expert set, the the cook uh, oh, okay. expert set with the um, with the artist uh, Otis of the wizard and the, and the warrior and the dragon. And I had to have that game. And so I can, uh, I, I bought that game or convinced my mother to buy it for me. I can't yeah, remember. Same difference. One, one of the, one of the two, I can't remember the specifics, but I came home with the expert set and box set. And it took me a while to discover that, uh, that I needed the basic set <laughs> too. <laughs> Great, great marketing, by the way, uh, old TSR. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 That, that, that failed to prominently say, must own the basic set to. It, it actually sure. did say that, I think. And, and small. Uh, yeah. Yes. yes. But it had the number two on it, I think. Uh, but and, yep. it wasn't obvious. But well, I was just so overwhelmed by the, by the art. And this is, you know, this is during a time when there's no internet. So, you know, it's 1981. There's no internet. We had very little in the way of television. And so I was a dreamer and uh, I can remember that was a great year for me. Um, and I had a lot of, a lot of little friends and that I could call up or you know, get together. And so, so we started playing and we, uh, we played Mold Bay Cook, the, the basic, the basic set, the basic expert set. And that's, that was my introduction to gaming as, as I know it. As we know it, war gaming, role playing games. I mean, before that, it was you know Monopoly or Scrabble or you know the Milton Bradley stuff, you know. Right. But, but that opened the door to a whole new world for me, and uh, and then I just kept going with it. You know, my I I loved, like I said, I love to draw. I love to do some illustration, and uh, and so does uh, so does Thaddeus. He's a great artist. True story. Not so <laughs> skilled, but a lot of passion. Exactly. And so uh, the art captivated me and just the ability to sit down and, and play a game in our heads. And, and of course, the funny dice was that was fun too to, to roll and have combat with. So that that was that was how I got started. So now that leads to something else. Mm -hmm. So tell me about Munchkins. Munchkins. <laughs> You're well, Munchkins. Because when we think about Munchkins in today, we think of Steve Jackson games, uh, way to mint new money by putting out the latest Munchkins expansion. And uh, God bless Steve for, for finding that method. But it had a different meaning. And we're not talking about the uh, Sour Patch Kids. Sour. We're not talking about uh, we, 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 we folks singing about the yellow brick road well what were much what were munchkins we represent mm. <laughs> the, oh, the no. lollipop the basic the basic set the basic set um i i was doing some research and while i was never called a munchkin to my face apparently and of course this is just based on hearsay and based on uh articles uh, these are actual articles. Dragon. Um, 
the um so the the first generation played the white box the or the original dungeons and dragons zero yep. edition right and then uh then the first basic set by holmes came out and then it was mold vague cook and then later mincer and so uh the first edition was from what i gather primarily aimed at the college crowd makes sense they yeah, had some pretty, extra money they had some extra time and uh that's that's where it got start so the as the college crowd is getting older and as advanced dungeons and dragons is published and the the students have graduated and either continued to play uh rpgs or whatever if those who have continued to play they notice all of these youngsters sixth graders fifth graders seventh and eighth graders running around at these conventions buying stuff up like it's you know just uh, j just going out of style and uh and from what i gather what i've read is that we were the munchkins there was the older crowd that that uh, got started with original dungeons and dragons and then the in the 80s the, these younger folks started getting interested and involved and uh and so that was that was where from what i understand that the term was first used i don't know if it was pejoratively or not <laughs> i'd say yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> but, <laughs> i i i don't I, I, maybe probably yeah i don't know how much of a term of affection it was like uh look at the sweet munchkins playing with their little basic D and D. Play, playing the baby D and D. baby D and D is what they call bx yes <laughs> well I, 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 that was my. I got introduced with AD and D, so that's that's about the same time frame here as when Robin came in, uh, and when I found Basic afterwards, I looked at it, and went, but it's Basic. Now, not knowing, you know, the system at all. If it's Basic, and I'm playing Advanced, obviously that's for the little. Here I am, sixth grade, saying, well, obviously that's for the little kids. Basic uh, is for the simpletons. Yes, I don't think that. And of course, that's all that's all wrong because there was in war gaming there was a basic set of rules, and then there was the more advanced version. For if you liked the the, the, the war game, if you liked the rules, you would start with the basic set or the basic uh, game, learn the rules, and then if you liked the game, you could you could uh, supplement that with more advanced rules. And but that's that's not the way it ended up uh sort of being um being used in D D because when uh, when the advanced books came out with all of their deviltry images and oh yeah <laughs> which i loved you know i wanted them i wanted the monster manual with the red dragon i wanted the player's handbook with that huge statue you know the the iconic statue oh uh, god yes and, and so gem. i got those three books and uh and trust me, I tried. <laughs> I tried to 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 uh, memorize as much as I could, and it just. I ended up playing it probably the same way that everybody else ended up playing. You you pick you pick and choose, and, and oh yeah, uh, and do your well, best you can. You know, I, so. I, I've said it before, and as of others, the Dungeon Master's Guide, as as well loved as it is, it's it's well loved with rose colored glasses because it was a fucking horrid. Mess of <laughs> shit, especially in the pre-internet era. We couldn't look stuff up, and you're like, "What's this word? What? Right. Why is this section right. here?" It's not I in my dictionary. The Oxford yeah. English Dictionary, unabridged. <laughs> yeah, had, but you know, you'd be like, "Why is disease like on page 10? 
Wouldn't right. that be something that you'd be way in the back? Why is unarmed combat using a percentile system right. when combat's on a D20? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and all of the pole arms. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, well, Gary, see, the pole arms things, it, one of the first third-party products I bought was a Palladium Book of Weaponry or something like that. That's right. And it actually explained all these – it was eye-opening. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> so you can't use a halberd one-handed. I thought it was a pretty good one-handed oh, weapon. Yes, we were in deep. We were in deep by that point. There was no returning. So for me, that's always been one of the things about role-playing games that you had these guys that were, of course, I was a kid, and, but but even now, you read something like, where did they get this from? And, and RPGs, anytime I would crack open a new RPG it never or a module, it never ceases to amaze me that I find something in there that comes from some something that was cool in history that they took and, and put into an elf game. But it's this real cool thing, and you could go, well, we used to use an encyclopedia, and you'd go look it up. But yeah, or, or whatever. Uh, research in itself can be a rewarding hobby. It's you know, it's the oh job, yeah, not the destination, and to always be learning stuff is for me is a lot of fun. Absolutely, right. that those books uh, really opened opened the doors. So many doors. They're dense, mm -hmm. dense with information, and it's not just about playing Dungeons and Dragons. It's no, no, a lot of history. History. It's advice. It's just that the organization of the DMG is. At least to a, my modern eyes and sensibilities, is if somebody published a DMG today, written as that book was written, you you you'd be trashing it right away. It wouldn't be published, I, I don't think, Eric. Not not. Well, oh no, yes, it would. we're all self-published. Come on, give me a break. Right. Somebody would still put it out. <laughs> well, we we have a little self-published product. I'd like to talk. Well, about. that's what I was. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to. You know. You know, mention at this point. Go for it. So, 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 how did the dice? How did these dice bros become dice bros? And how did <laughs> no. you guys start zining? So, I, I did not meet Robin on the internet. Uh, I did not meet Robin in in uh, playing Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, I was at a game convention uh, called Lexicon, which is held in Lexington, Kentucky, where very close to where I live every year, and it's primarily board gamers. And uh, I brought a, my copy of Hero Quest, which uh, the original Milton Bradley 1990 board game, which is a kid's yep. dungeon delving game. But I still maintain uh, it is the finest way to get young kids uh, into, and by that I mean like under 10 or around there, into fantasy tropes and dungeon delving and classes. And it's, uh, it's lighter than BX, but um, only it has all the elements of, of a, a good dungeon crawl and... Uh, Okay. I think it's a dandy game, and I own several copies, and it's something my six-year-old and I can can play together. So anyway, I, I just grabbed that because uh, I didn't really want to play a heavier board game, and I was sitting there, and everyone's walking by going, yeah, Hero Quest. <laughs> and I'm going, yeah, come on, let's, let's fire it up. Oh, no, man, I'm going to go play this this Euro game, or oh, no, I'm going to go play this you know really uh, intricate game. And nobody wanted to play Hero Quest with me, and here comes this fine gentleman, Robin Irwin, <laughs> and he goes, hey, that – uh." That Les Edwards art is is great. And I said, "Wow, you know who Les Edwards is? That's the fantasy artist that games mostly known for his Games Workshop work, uh, of which I'm also a, a huge Games Workshop was a huge thing for me. Warhammer Fantasy Battle and and Rogue Trader 40k back in the early 90s. Yep. Um, and uh, Robin knew what it was, and we started talking, and we found we had a lot in common. 
um, as far as our love of old school gaming. And uh, now we pretty much see each other. Well, other than this last year, we see each other at conventions like Gary Con um, and Robin comes to Lexicon and uh, we try to get together. We've been roommates at Gary Con. And uh, so, yeah. So, okay. So Robin comes to me and goes, Hey, I want to do a zine. You want to do a zine? I'm like, yeah, let's, yeah. I mean, and that was all it took. And he goes, all right, start, start writing and drawing stuff as much as you want. And we'll cram it in here. And <laughs> he was the one, and he was working full time too. He's, he's now enjoying a life of leisure as a retired uh, gentleman. Uh, we'll, see how that, we'll see how long that lasts. Well, <laughs> <laughs> and somebody who's coming up on five years, I'll tell you, it's not a bad gig. <laughs> Hmm. Go ahead, Thaddeus. Sorry so that was the genesis of, of, of Wizard Funk. And a lot of people, we don't have like a super uh, tightly focused vision statement or goal for this. This It's not even a product, right? It's it's our love letter to old school Dungeons and Dragons. It's everything we like um, wrapped up in, you know, is, what is there? Is, there? is there monsters? Yeah, there's monsters. There's magic items. There's adventures. There's an interview or two. There's an interview or two with people that were writing stuff in 19, you know, the late seventies, early eighties. There's original content from, that was written back then that we got from a friend of mine, uh, Tony Elam, who's a, a great dude yep. and a huge game collector. His D and D collection is on display at the strong museum in Rochester, New York, which uh, I'll also add a lot of people don't know if you're looking for an obscure RPG book that you must simply must have, there is a very good chance you can contact the Strong Museum. You'll pay like 10 cents per page and they will scan you copies of obscure zines. Uh, oh, really? Small press stuff. I mean, you're you're going to deal with the librarian. You're going to pay and, and you're going to have to sign some waivers saying you're not going to sell this this material. But um, And I asked them, how often do you get in stuff? And they said, we get boxes of old Dungeons and Dragons and RPG stuff every single month and we are constantly scanning it and uploading it into our archives and for my research and curiosity it has been a phenomenal resource um that is un that i have never found any one collection at any uh institution that is better than theirs uh, wow and they have all the tsr they have every single thing tsr published uh if not, that's all out there on the internet. someday post. they'll even have wizard funk someday yeah we need to send them some copies and you oh, them, yeah, yeah, is, if you are uh, uh an older gamer and you're thinking about your legacy i know everyone wants loved ones to take it but um rather than have my stuff carted off to the trash heap i would think about donating if you have some rare stuff contact the strong and see if they would be interested in your parts or all of your collection because uh they will make sure that this stuff um survives and I, I caught an interview with john peterson who did the wonderful playing at the world and he he said a very uh, profound thing to me that we are we're sort of on the precipice of losing some of this material that the that if if you're in your 60s or 70s and you start because you started playing dungeons and dragons when you were 15 or 19 if you were the first wave that started mm -hmm. playing in the 70s you're an older dude right you're you're over 60 probably so you have stuff you may have stuff no one else has especially small press stuff that they printed 500 copies or a hundred copies. But first Let's you have to send second. it to us. Yes, either send it to me or send it to the strong. <laughs> I'll make sure it gets, I'll make sure it gets uh, preserved because I'm really interested in seeing primary source material. And I know Robin is too. And this is a big passion of mine, primary source material from the foundational era of Dungeons and Dragons. I don't care who wrote it. I don't care what it's about because it is, it has a purity to it that this is pre-internet it's pre-mass popularization of fantasy. And what I actually liken it to is it's 
it's like the early fantasy work you see in the 20s and 30s in the pulps and, and the right. fantasy artwork. Well, nobody knew. If you tell someone to draw an elf, a modern artist to draw an elf right now, he's going to draw something that, that pretty much looks like Lord of the Rings with the varying degrees of, of why. Because fantasy has become standardized is where I'm going with this. Fantasy has become, uh, and D&D is a big part of this. It's, it's popularity, but books like the Monster Manual, for the first time, someone wrote down all these monsters, gave them names, cataloged them. And it wasn't just the stuff of legends and folk tales and various uh, various children's books. It, it started getting codified. Fantasy wasn't codified. Fantasy role playing games weren't codified in 1977. Not even really until the early 80s did it really start to fancy started to tighten down what the tropes meant. So when someone says, um, you know, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of one of the monsters that Gary a bugbear. Well, I know exactly what a bugbear is in the D in the D and D parlance, but a bugbear is whatever you say it is. It's it, there is there was no definition for it. It was some kind of goblin esque creature, but there was no really a, a tight definition of what it was. So that's why primary source material is so important because it represents a crystalline and pure original vision. That yes, it may have been colored by fantasy influences in novels and comic books and movies, but there just weren't as many back then. Right. That's a good point. So now with um, oh, wow. again, I want to call it Wizard Fuck. Uh, Wizard <laughs> sounds like a metal Wiz band. Yeah, Wizard Fuck. <laughs> uh, with Wizard Funk Three. Um, and you, you guys are part of like Zine Quest. Have you, have you done Zine Quest in the past? And did I just not even realize it? Um, were you guys involved in it last year? Or is this last year? You were last year. Okay. Yeah, it was for um, for issue one and two. Uh, actually, oh, uh, now I remember. Uh, yeah, it, it was a double, double zine. Yeah. All right, I, I, I am only half as stupid as I look. All right, <laughs> so in, in in that case, with th with issue three, what are people going to be expecting to get? Out of curiosity, what's in, what's inside? Well, okay, so uh, there's going to be a bestiary or a bestiary. Ooh. Uh, I don't know. I, I've, I've said it both ways. And I, yeah, I don't say know. it both ways. Uh, there's going to be... Well, actually, I, I've been doing... I've been really interested in original edition D&D &D, uh, uh, of late. And so I'm designing a way to um, to generate maps with a D6. Wilderness maps uh, with coastlines and rivers and cities and uh, making it as simple as possible. And so there's going to be a little couple of maybe a, a, a couple of pages on some some gaming design if you like to roll dice and make your own maps you know that'll be in there there'll be an, a, an adventure in there um that i'm working on my first one uh, was you know it's silly goofy you know nerdy stuff you know based on original D. &D. uh i think thaddeus is his contribution is more um the uh bx or beck me uh right. stuff and so it's kind of it's going to be a combination of uh, original D and D and BX Beckme uh, material, but uh, there's going to be an, uh, an, a published interview with uh, a member of the original Blackmore bunch. Oh, nice! Um, that I've already uh, put together. It's ninety percent done. I've just got to uh, to tidy it up a bit and send it off to the printer. Uh, so. Uh, Let's see what what uh, can you think of anything else that is monsters sure. dungeons some rants, 
you know, goofy stuff, just goofy, nerdy D and D. It's do it yourself stuff. It's everything we've been working on. So, uh, there's a book, a uh, small press book called the complete works of Zoran gray star. And I got to sit down with the creators of that, that are still playing D and D together. They're best friends since high school. Uh, so a great story and both have gone on to have successful academic, uh, professional, um, and, uh, tech industry, uh, careers and just super smart guys. And they put out this book called the complete works of Zoran gray star and the complete works of Zoran's gray star was one of the first, I won't say it's the first, cause I don't know that to be the case, but it was definitely an early example of spell points, uh, an early example of, um, of course, new spells. I guess what say you say, well, what sets it apart? There was a million guys doing stuff like this in 1977, 78, 79. They were putting out their home, their homebrew D and D stuff. It's the production values. The it's, uh, one of the, um, authors mothers is a pretty good amateur artist. Um, and just put it who had never drawn fantasy and put out some really compelling art, I felt. And it was professionally bound and typeset and laid out. And um, these guys are definitely interested in the mathematical aspects of Dungeons and Dragons as far as balancing um, the spell point system uh, against the existing rules. Uh, oh, it has okay. original spells, it has uh, their sort of their own take on DD cosmology, which I think came out before the uh, manual of the planes uh, stuff came out from TSR. So it's just a lot of great. Um, uh, I've encouraged them to sell it as a PDF. It's on the collector's market. I think they only printed a thousand or 2000 copies. It's, it's an interview. Um, but yeah, so there's this interview, there's some monsters, there's uh, Greg Gillespie and I sat down and Dr. Greg Gillespie who did barrel maze. We sat down and talked about some of his, uh, thoughts on old school gaming and um, some I, I play in one of his games um, and he had he had a bunch of uh, ideas for like magic users and what can they be doing at low level and can they be useful to the party and he had some really stuff I hadn't heard before and I was like that's good info we need to get that out there um, there, yeah so uh, ideas are just kind of bubbling up all the time for wizard funk four and five and however yeah I mean we have we tons can. of content yeah um, Eric Hoffman, who did Treasure Vaults as a bad, uh, right. he he has a he has an article in there on goblin tribes and um, mutations or something. I, I some of this stuff was done much earlier in the year, and I I probably should have looked at it before we sat down with you. But uh, if you're interested in old school gaming, you're going to get a lot of content for a good price, and it's from guys that are totally as ate up and as interested in this stuff as you are. And I I promise you this if. If you don't find at least one or two things in there you enjoy, you know, send send it back to me and, and we'll figure something out on the money. Robin doesn't have to back this up, but I, I think you'll enjoy it. Um, we're doing this. So, and there's a question we have added due to popular demand. We have added international shipping. Uh, we are going to do this as a hard copy only Kickstarter, but eventually, and hopefully this isn't tank sales because I think we just put our funding goal. Eventually, this will go to Drive Through RPG, where you can find issues one and two. And if you really want to see what Wizard Funk Three is about, the best thing you can do is go pay a dollar for a, for a, a PDF that's packed with content, um, and you can pick up one and two. I think they're a dollar piece. Is that right, Robin? On that's right, and that's right. And and also, uh, if you want to submit something, uh, yes, send us an email, and uh, we'll need a release. We'll need a, a you know something that says that a you didn't copy it from anybody else that you actually own it and, uh, and uh, created it and uh, we'll need a release. So, uh, but if you want to 
submit something for publication, whether it's art or an article or something like that, we'll definitely review it. Wow. You'd never know that we're actually talking with a lawyer at this point. <laughs> Holy crap. One thing no. Robin has had a vision for that we're both interested in exploring and we sort of haven't realized it yet is this idea of, of going down more the APA, the, the Amateur Press Association, like these zines, which in a way were the forums or um, discords, if you will, of their day, that they reforms is probably a more apt description, but um, I wasn't familiar with them. Robin is educated on the alarms and excursions that Lee Gold puts together to this day is, is a big one. And these were, you would write, you would send an article or a letter or talk about whatever you wanted in and it would get published. And then other people would respond to it, whether it was an argument about something, some important That's health gaming topic or a monster you wanted to make. Yes. I want to thank Lee Gold for what she has done. I mean, uh, by putting, putting together her zine and, just uh, it's just filled with content i mean people can argue back and forth about what its value is but it was it's a tremendous value to me and she's truly an inspiration so definitely an early pioneer uh one of the you know the, the giants whose shoulders we we stand on and uh thank goodness you know she has got them all scanned and and uh in pdf form and uh is making sure that that this information is preserved for because i and this was, I'm stealing this again from the John Peterson interview I saw the other day. Uh, I think it was posted on Grognardia, but he, 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 he mentioned, he said that, you know, a hundred years from now, people could still be playing Dungeons and Dragons. And I think he's right. I won't, none of us are going to be here in a hundred years, but no. uh, there's Dungeons, people say, you know, why is that so important to you? You'll, you'll be gone. Dungeons and Dragons is, is, you know, I, I'm not a great artist or painter. Um, other than my family, D and D is an important part of my like the time I spent here on Earth, and uh, it's a really important and fun thing for me. And and uh, maybe in a hundred years, someone will be looking up. Eric will definitely be mentioned, but maybe they'll find wow. Wizard Funk, and someone will will, uh, will, uh, find, uh, will uh, talk about the old school Renaissance and these guys that that brought D and D back or never quit. I always say I never quit playing because I, I do meet people that go, you know, I, I played D&D in high school and then I took a 20 year break and I came back. Well, I'm glad you're back, but some right. of us have been here, we've always been here. I never left. I, I can't leave if I wanted to. I've, uh, I've played D&D. &D, uh, let me just finish up, Robin. I, I played D&D &D at war. I've played on, on warships. I, I was in the Marines. I have, uh, I've never found a time or place that I couldn't play Dungeons and Dragons. Um, I, I played several times a week. I want to. I'm sorry, uh, Thaddeus, but I, I can't. Uh, I can't leave without saying this. I, for a long, there was a, a long period of time that I had stopped gaming, uh, and that was getting my career off the ground uh, and and whatnot. But uh, I went to a, a convention, my first gaming convention. I can remember as a little kid, you know, reading in the pages of Dragon Magazine Gen, about Gen Con and Origins. I had yeah. never been to one of these gaming conventions and i had always ever since i was a little kid wanted to go well a buddy of mine brought me to origins and this was in 2011 i think and uh i uh had been just getting back into gaming 2011 uh, was it the, yes 2011 getting back into it kind of uh, full-time with my friends we just gotten back together started playing again although they were playing fourth edition D D, and uh, uh -oh. it was okay but i signed up for a game at origins it was a Labyrinth Lord game, and the and the the DM was uh was Dennis Pipes, and oh, Dennis shit. Pipes, yeah, Dennis Pipes. Uh, I want to thank him. Uh, I remember meeting him and uh and his uh, beautiful wife, and they 
uh, he ran a great game and it, and it inspired me to buy a copy of Labyrinth Lord. And that's how I got back into, that's how I got into the OSR, uh, was, uh, through a game that I played with Dennis Pipes. So I just wanted well, to I didn't know big that shout out to him. Was, I didn't know that Robin was a 4E player and I didn't know that he abandoned our beloved hobby for many years. I did not uh, abandon it. I this may be the last issue of Wizard Funk, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> come on. Wait, wait, wait. E even the great 10 car stopped playing from like 97 to, to <laughs> hey, I, 2010. I didn't say but, I was a fan of fourth edition either. No, I just, no. It, it, it was, you know, and that's you what's so great shit. is that it, that it is this, this hobby that you can – I, I, cause I can almost, I can almost, it's this, this will sound incredibly nerdy, but someone was talking about third edition the other day. And I was like, Oh, where was I? Well, I was stationed in Southern California. Uh oh, did we suddenly lose that? So I, there we go. Am I back? Though yes. I'm a, yep. a dedicated old schooler. I've played every edition of Dungeons and Dragons and I think I've, yes, I did run fourth edition. I ran the, uh, is it the Sunless Citadel? Oh, um, no. You I, ran 4th Edition. I ran 4th Edition. I had a friend uh, that I was renting a room from, and he had never played Dungeons & Dragons, and um, I didn't have any of my stuff with me. It was all in boxes and storage. And I said, all right, I'll go out and grab the player's handbook and a module, and I grabbed that. And uh, the funny story, so he, didn't, he, didn't, he was kind of making fun of it and didn't like it. And I just talked to him the other day because we stay in touch. He plays he plays in a fifth edition game every week with his kids and grandkids. And how wonderful is that that he's found that something to connect with them with and, and that he can enjoy. Totally cool. Finding that both of you play four E makes me feel really, really dirty and unclean. It's like ten cars <laughs> after this is ten cars I, after I dark. Four E confessions. <laughs> I finally I play now? it. <laughs> I ran it. Oh, there we go. We lost. Sad dropped. All right. Well, you oh, didn't no. say it'd be out of here. Um, I, I want to thank that. And Robin, I want to thank you. It, it, I wouldn't know either of you nearly as well as I do. And I'm not trying to uh, quote from Bilbo here, but I, if it wasn't for uh, conventions like North Texas and Game Hall and and uh, Gary Con, you know, I, I wouldn't have made the friendships within a hobby that I have. And it, uh, it's a blessing. So I really... I, I appreciate this, and I'm I'm glad you guys are having a good time with the zine. Yes, magazine. Got it right again. You know what? I'm going to tell Matt Jackson that I'm doing really well with this. Um, I feel the same way. I feel the same way, man. Absolutely. So It's been a pleasure. My pleasure. All right, folks. It's Wizard Funk 3. Don't put in the F word that I've been trying to put in all night. <laughs> uh, you can find it on Kickstarter. I believe it is 10 bucks. It's a physical copy. Uh, it'll be in PDF after the Kickstarter on drive through For those of you that prefer your digital, uh, I prefer my print. I like to have the digital available so I can read on my iPad when I don't crack the screen, but that's a long story. Um, oh, see, Thad came back. See, Thad, Thad has returned. Hello. Having connectivity issues. Oh, okay. I thought you were, like, you know, fighting somebody in the kitchen. I thought I heard, like... Silverware flying. Give me that pizza. <laughs> God damn it. So I was just I was just telling everybody what an ass you were and <laughs> how I'm glad uh, that you're we, that you we finally got rid out. of that guy. He won't shut up. <laughs> it's like, oh like that said he had to be out of here at the uh when the clock struck on the hour, he must have just went, all right, I gotta go. Beep, 
Oh, I can uh, still yeah. I can still keep uh, running my mouth for a long, long time. Especially no, when no, talking so about D&D. No, I think that that goes to all of us. But again, and, and especially in the world of COVID, you know, in the world of COVID, we have not had a chance to get together and socialize and recharge our yes. our batteries as we used to. So uh, I really am grateful we had this time. And folks, again, uh, God, you know, I gotta I gotta correct myself, Wizard. Funk. If you want wizard, fuck. It's a totally different zine. Not this one. What? May not uh, be about once D&D. you buy it, it's yours. Once you get yes. it at home with you, you can call it whatever you want. You can call it whatever you want. Wizard F3. Uh, <laughs> that was an interesting title, too. But in any case, folks, uh, we're still in the midst of the world of COVID. Uh, and, and everybody that's ever played in the game has thrown a, a fireball into a 10 by 10 room. And then goes it, it it blows back. It kills the whole. No, I wouldn't do that if I knew. I got common sense. Well, you know what? The common sense you claim your characters have, use it. We're not going to tell you what to do. All right, you know your own level of where you're at, but take action to protect yourself, your family, your loved ones. Be safe. Be well. Uh, God bless you all. Roll your dice. Roll them well. And uh, I'll be back with more of these tomorrow. Holy shit! Enjoy the live streams, folks. I know I am, and I've been enjoying all the guests. These guys are great. So support the Kickstarter. Thanks for having us, Eric.